Welcome to the show. Welcome to 100% Tilted. Uh, I am your co-host, Roland Solo today, Michael David, on 100% Tilted discussions with winning underdogs. And today in the studio, we have an interesting fella, a guy that you uh, probably don't want to run into if you're on the uh, wrong side of the law and you've decided to uh, not show up in court. Um, But this guy is a business owner, entrepreneur. Um, to his credit, uh, I believe around or over 500 skips, yeah. people that, that, that he's uh, caught being take. a uh, bounty hunter. Uh, also a resident of Houston, Texas, actually Conroe. Conroe Is that right? Montgomery County, baby. Bail, bail bondsman, husband, dad, son, brother, friend, and one of the most fierce bounty hunters in Texas. Ladies and gentlemen, to the 100% Tilted Show, I give you Elliot Sondag. Thank you, bro. Thanks for having <laughs> yeah. me, brother. Yeah. No, it's kind of nice having an intro, right? Yeah, I like the intro, <laughs> yeah. man. I was kind of, my, my ego was kind of, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, I had to readjust myself. <laughs> man, how are you? Good, man. Yeah, yeah. I've been, uh, it's good to be here and it's good to kind of check in, you know what I'm saying, with another another fellow traveler, man, business guy <laughs> that uh, I could share a little bit with, you know, I've just, like we talked about earlier, just been transitioning through um, the last corporate business that, uh, I've been in for the last 18 years involving family and another business partner. And is that how, the, is that how you got into it by the, the way? That's bail. Yeah, that's bail. Well, I actually got into bail bonds. I think my family, my dad started it, but I think the reason he started it is because I was such an outlaw teenage kid. I think he probably had to get me out of jail <laughs> Didn't get a bunch that vibe. of times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I was his first client, kind of like the, uh, get out. club for men. <laughs> Not only am I uh, an owner, but I'm a member. You know what I'm saying? So I, uh, you know, my teens, I was a, a very wild kid. Um, hence me being an, a recovering alcoholic and drug addict today. You know what I'm saying? No I've shit. Been sober for 16 and a half years. Uh, you know, I, was, I lived a, wow. little, a little wild life. You know what I'm saying? And I did end up in jail a handful of times. So I think that's what um, we jokingly say that in the family. That's why we got in the business. But I think it was a <laughs> lucrative thing for my dad at the time back in 1995. Less out of pocket expense, right? Yeah, 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 right? <laughs> So uh, I think, you know, fast forward when I, I, I kind of got my life together and joined the company and we formed Bail Management Incorporated, I, uh, I, I became, you know, I was really good at what I did, you know what I'm saying? Because I'd been in jail, I'd been addicted to drugs and alcohol, you know what I'm saying? I'd put my pa- family through the ringer, you know what I'm saying? With them having to get me out of jail and me, you know, doing what I did in my addiction, you know? So I think that is what made me rise to the top in my industries because I just knew firsthand you know, what that was like, not only for me, but for what I did to my family. And so that kind of transferred over uh, to bounty hunting for me also, like that criminal element and kind of how uh, that person may think, you know what I'm saying? Because I've been there, you know, I've never been on the run or nothing like that, but I've been... You, you knew know, them because you were them. Yeah, truly, truly, you know what I'm saying? And, and most people that we run into uh, in my industry are, 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 you know, in some form battling with alcohol or drugs. You don't, you don't go to jail sober. You know what I'm saying? That's what I found. I've never heard that. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I mean, just after doing this for so many years, I mean, it's just not something that, you know, traditionally you're, you know, you're, you're drinking and driving obviously because you're, you're drunk. You know what I'm saying? You're <laughs> stealing from, you know, Walmart because you're high on drugs or pills. You know what I'm saying? You're driving without a license because your license got revoked from a DWI. You know I mean? It's just, Cyclical. it's like a trickle yeah. down effect wow. a lot of times from drugs and alcohol. I don't have many guys, you know, call me from jail that just decided to beat their wife up, allegedly. 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, normally they're intoxicated and getting in an argument, and then there's restraining on somebody's part, and the cops come out. But, you know, ultimately, if that person hadn't been, you know, a couple too many drinks in, mm-hmm. they may have thought a little better about that argument with their significant other, you know, mm-hmm. or restraining that person or whatever. So, I mean, I'll be honest, I probably, I live uh, in the burbs, uh, a little sheltered, <laughs> and don't really see the uh, the criminal aspect of it, which you see, I mean, this, this is your job, yeah. right? And this has also been kind of part of your life for a long time in that sideways with the law, right? Uh, you, you just, you just showed up with like a, a bag full of onions, like of all these layers. Like, I just want to oh, peel yeah, back, you know, yeah. but you know, from the suburbs and the bubble and you, you kind of just, you go to the grocery store, you go to the gas station, you see the reports on the news of, a shooting or a stabbing, but it seems so far removed. Right. And, and I mean, Conroe, you know, where I live, I'm Northeast side of Houston, Conroe's, you know, 15, 20 minute jaunt, not that far away, but uh, you know, yeah, we go downtown, we see all the bail bonds offices down in the courthouse. You always see that in, whether it's a, a little town or a big city, there's bail bondsmen or, you know, all around the courthouse and stuff and near the jail where I guess people can go and bail their kid out or their husband or their brother or whatever. But um Crime is, is rampant. Yeah. I mean, it, it keeps, how many, how many bail bondsmen would you say between Harris County, Montgomery, just in the Houston, you know, Metroplex, how many bail bondsmen do you think there are? I mean, I have offices, uh, in both Montgomery and Harris County. So in Harris County, um, I have my Godfather's bail bonds office, um, and then in Montgomery County, I have my four, a better way bail bonds office, um, you know, whether people are up or not on current events or even yourself, we discussed a little bit. I mean, there's been a lot of reform going on in, in the jail and the bail industry over the last, I mean, really probably four or five, six years. And so to answer your question, there used to be around a hundred bail bond companies in Harris County. There was a whole lot of bail bond companies, you know, it's an industry that's been around for a hundred plus years. Uh, but when all this jail and bail reforms, you know, started coming down the pipe kind of out in the, on the West coast and the East coast, we just never thought it would really move to Texas, much less Houston or Montgomery County, but it's been well and alive here for the last probably two years. And so, uh, so I'd say that, you know, um, instead of doing like a commercial bond, let's say you got picked up for a DWI and they gave you, let's say a $5,000 bond. Uh, the way that they're doing it now, um, and I think the way the system was originally designed was to, if maybe you're a first-time offender, that they would give you what's called a PR bond, where they let you out on your own recognizance, personal recognizance bond. So, um, you know, once they started kind of transitioning over to a lot of this pretrial release or these personal recognizance bonds, obviously we were no longer posting bail, you know, mm-hmm. from the commercial bail side. So I would say there's probably you know, probably a third of the bail bond companies, you know, they've been around for you know, years and years and years. A lot of them had to close their doors, you know, in the Harris County area. Mm. So, which brought a lot of the, there was probably a handful of companies that went from Harris County up here to Montgomery County, mm. which has also affected my business here at my Montgomery County locations. So there's been a lot of, a lot of change, um, in, in the bail bond industry. You Is know? there money in it though? I mean, there's, there's, there's money to be made. Um, I think that, you know, with all this bail reform that's kind of come down the chute, I mean, I think it's kind of gotten twisted like a lot of good things, you know, can happen, you know, when, when they're trying to do the right thing and try to help out the poor, or these indigent people that may be incarcerated in jail. I think the pendulum's kind of swung a little too far, 
And so, like, maybe some of these, the way this system was designed originally for, like, a first-time offender. You know, let's say my kid gets caught stealing something from Walmart. You know, first-time offender, they go to jail, slap them on the wrist, give them a little PR bond, let them out. But like mm-hmm. I said, that pendulum swung so far to the left now that, you know, let's say Bob Smith, who's been arrested 30 times in Harris County, been to prison, been to state jail, missed court dates before and been on the run, and they're giving guys like this personal recognizance bonds, you know? So so like everything that kind of comes along sometimes with these good ideas that people have or these groups have, you know, sometimes it just gets a little too far out there, man, because I think there should be a little bit more of qualifications behind you know, who gets a PR bond or gets released on their own recognizance. There certainly seems to be a lot of question right now uh, with part of this COVID pandemic thing is letting a lot of the prisoners out yeah. to uh, help instigate social distancing within jail. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how, you know, I, I've spoke with the sheriff and some other people here in Montgomery County because my business has drastically been affected here in Montgomery County. Uh, and I think that a lot of this pretrial and, and this PR, because, you know, Montgomery County is a, a pretty red county. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's one of the most populated Republican counties in the state, if I'm not mistaken. I think Steve Toth actually said on our interview a couple of weeks ago um, that Montgomery County was uh, one of the majority counties that, I mean, was massively percentage was red. So with yeah. the bail reform yeah. deal, it's been kind of a traditional kind of a left deal, kind of a Democrat yeah. deal, kind of trying to help out the indigent or these poor people that are wrongfully incarcerated in jail. Uh, I promise you that these high percentages of people that you're seeing incarcerated in these jails aren't stuck in there on little $500 misdemeanor bonds. You know, mm-hmm. that's from all the work I've done and all the research I've done. These people that are overpopulating these jails are people with parole violations, probation violations, immigration you know, high first, second degree type felony charges. I mean, that's what's clogging up a lot of the jails, I think. So with Montgomery County, to switch back over to what you were saying, like with Montgomery County uh, being a very conservative kind of a red county, uh, we really never thought bail reform would come up here. Well, you know, COVID segued that in right into this being like today I was looking at the court docket. I think over half the people that got arrested last night were released on some type of PR bond personal recognizance bond. And these are, and these are all types of misdemeanors and even some of these state jail felony type charges, you know, so they're releasing people on felony charges, you know, four to 200 gram dope cases on PR bonds, assaulting a police officer, all kinds of different charges that people Mm -hmm. have been getting released on these PR bonds. So with COVID, when it came in, they're like, we don't want the jail being, you know, infected. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? With COVID, so we're going to release all these people on these PR bonds. Well, in my my little pea brain, you know, I, my, man, the way I'm thinking is that if you bring somebody into the jail for six or 12 hours, even if you do release them on a PR bond later on, you still brought them into the jail, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, obviously, I'm not the sheriff or, you know, constable or the DA or anything in Montgomery County. But, you know, if we're going to be releasing these people anyways, I'm wondering why they're even bringing them in the jail. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Um, so. I mean, what was the, what's the, really the whole goal of jail and prison is trying to reform, right? Yeah, Penalize so. for their actions and I reform. So, yeah. But if the reform really worked, why do we still have this perpetual problem? Oh yeah. I, I mean, how many, how many arrests do you think have been made just in the past 30 days? Here in Montgomery County? Montgomery County and Harris County. Oh man. I mean, I've, I've seen arrest records as high as 500 people a day in Harris <laughs> County. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we're talking like the third largest city in the nation, right? Third yeah. or fourth. I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fourth largest city in the nation. Um, so, I mean, 
you know, we're talking millions of people in, in Houston, the Harris County area. God. I'd say Montgomery County could be anywhere from maybe 20 to 50 people, depending on the day in Montgomery wow. County. So, I mean, you know, there's, there's a ton of people that get arrested. There's a ton of people out there messing up. You know what I'm saying? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I get it. I mean, they're going to, you know, like the, the legalization of marijuana and things like that. You know, I'm like, oh, that's fine. Whatever. You know, I mean, like I've been missing like that. The decriminalization of pot has gotten really, I mean, even though Texas obviously uh, it's not legal here, you know, I think mm-hmm. maybe for some medical reasons and stuff like that. But as far as like, they're not even, they kind of went from a re- like Montgomery County. When I first started doing bail up here, I mean, they would, they would scrape seeds and stems out of your floorboard and charge you with marijuana possession. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, uh, it went to uh, going in and getting PR bonds for, for pot possession. And then it went to citations on the side of the road. Mm. And then I've seen, you know, I've heard from a lot of the law enforcement that, you know, they're not even accepting charges now when they pull somebody over a marijuana wow. charge. So, I mean, a lot of stuff's changed in the 20 years I've been in the business. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I don't think we'll ever do away with prisons and state jails and county jails and all that stuff, no matter how kooky it gets, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, I think it's just something that, you know, like bail's been around for years and years and years and years. And I think that it's going to come back around. I think that they'll see, um, like even in Harris County, like Kim Og, the DA, and Art, um, I think Art Acevedo, I think, so the yeah, police chief, chief down police, yeah. there. Yeah, mm-hmm. when they came in a couple years ago with some backing <clears throat> from some big powers that be, I think that was one of the top priorities was pushing this bail reform. And I think after two years or so, uh, now they're kind of seeing the repercussions of just cutting people loose. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And they're going, oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You know, the, the yeah. I mean, they're on record the police mm-hmm. chief and the DA of going, Oh yeah, we don't know quite about the PR bond deal. Now they're kind of, it's kind of come up full circle mm-hmm. yeah, cause I mean, in extreme cases, they've seen murder cases and a lot of stuff, a lot of rise in crime because sometimes somebody needs to sit in jail for a week or two or a month. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes maybe they're drinking a little too much or doing a little too much drugs or, you know, pimping hoes or stealing stuff, and they need to go sit their ass out. You know what I'm saying? They yeah. need to go sit down for a week or a day or a month or whatever and kind of get back out and kind of maybe, um, you know, get a new view on things, but they're just cutting them loose. I mean, you're, you're getting arrested, and you're back out hours later. But, okay, so here's... So, right? So what's happening with that MD is that there's no real repercussions. They are going to have to go to court eventually. You know yeah. what I'm saying? But they're getting right back out. Like, officers on the same shift... Or seeing people they arrested when they first came on back out before they get off their shift. And so what's happening with that is people are like, oh, shoot, I can, I can steal this, beat that up, drive drunk this, grab Meemaw's purse, whatever. There's no fear. And it just start, the crime starts to ramp up. And I think they've seen a, a real rise in murder in Harris County. So, you know, from like the average Joe citizen, right, that, you know, goes to work, punches in and out, goes to grocery store, goes to church. What keeps, you know, laws for, laws for the lawless, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for the average person, there is that self-driven uh, discipline that there's a fear about getting arrested, now having this on your record, having a mugshot. Like there's this fear of that the average Joe citizen, that's their biggest fear, yeah. right? I mean, that's yeah. why like, I mean, shoot, I get pulled over. I get that pucker factor, yeah. right? Like oh, I'm about yeah. to get licks in, in school, like yeah. when I was a kid, right? Like you, you can't squeeze out a wet fart, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's, it just makes you nervous, right? But then other people, you know, they're just habitual offenders, yeah. right? So to them, going to jail is no big deal. I've probably seen their homies, yeah. right? Yeah, it could be. So in, a, in an absence of fear, you have an absence of consequence, mm-hmm. 
with an absolute consequence, it's just free reign. Yeah. Right. So yeah. there's no, there's no real recourse. So can you really reform somebody like that? Because too, and then here's my other thought. If you, you take a criminal, you put them amongst a group of criminals in jail. Now they're hanging out with like-minded people True. and you're the average of the five people you keep close. And if you're sitting there for two to three weeks, yeah, you may not have access to, well, say that you can pretty much get anything in jail. Now, yeah, I say that. That's what they say. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the drugs are prevalent there as they're on the streets. Yeah. Uh, what was the movie? Um, what was it? And the character said it was funny when I was in the free world. Uh, you know, I couldn't seem to do anything, but I actually learned how to be a criminal in jail. Uh, right. Some maybe it was uh, blow maybe with Johnny mm, Depp, yeah, maybe something be, like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I just often wonder, you know, is putting them all in one place really the place for reform? Yeah. I, I mean, it's just, just my logical thinking, yeah. right? Is that the best method? Now, you're trying to put all these dangerous people in one place, put, you know, uh, protect, you know, uh, Department of Corrections officers around them. But even you hear about a lot of the corruption and a lot of the just, I mean, Abu Ghraib prison, but you never hear about it. True. Right? I mean, Huntsville's what, an hour away? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I've, you're either a teacher or you work for uh, Sam Houston State or you work for the DOC. Yeah, right, that's yeah, pretty much. DCJ, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you're in Huntsville, yeah. yeah, Hunts Vegas. There was actually one person I met that I, I believe was a barber at one of the prisons, yeah. right? And they're like, "I'm out. I can't do this anymore. Like, yeah. it's crazy, right?" Uh, but I just wonder, like, w what is a better solution, though? I mean, from a, a naivety for me, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, skin color, upbringing, m middle class. Like, I have a lot of privilege. Yeah. Right. Uh -huh. Let's just call it what it is. Yeah. Other people say it's uh, it's social driven. It's environmentally driven. Uh, other people say it's the fault of the system. I look at it as choice. I mean, I've seen people that have come from horrible childhoods, multiple different races, but found a way. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. So I, I have a hard time empathizing with because it's your environment, right? When I mean, how many movies are made about people that came out of? horrible situations and made something of themselves. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, you're an example of that yeah. regardless of skin color, yeah. but it, it, you took you, you, whatever lesson you learned or whatever moment you just kind of had like thump on the head going, what am I doing? Right. And I don't like where this is headed. I need to change something. Right. Yeah. Or if it was pressure from family, but I, ju I just, it, what is a better way to reform people that are habitually criminal? Stiffer penalties. That's a, that's a big public question. hangings. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I mean, you could get like the Middle East and start chopping off some fingers and hands and stuff. That's I mean, legit. That know, happens. I mean, like public. Oh, that's for sure. No, I get it. Like, to I mean, this if you, day you, that you, go, you go down to the square down here and we, you know, hang eight people that, you know, committed some, you know, heinous felonies in, in Montgomery County, I, I'd imagine everybody would be like, holy shit. You know what I'm saying? Then, like, I mean, like, whoa, like, you know, like, I mean, you know, I don't know, MD. I mean, that's. I mean, you know, just, I mean, like you know, I preach, I, I had the, you know, in 12 step programs, like in Alcoholics Anonymous, like I sobered up in, I mean, part of your 12 steps carrying the message. I mean, you know, when I was in the office regularly, I could carry that message all day long. You know what I'm saying? Cause like I told you, most everybody that's in jail has a drug or alcohol addiction of some type, you know what I'm saying? Or was under the influence, you know, and that's at their best time. You know, I've, I've been blessed enough to, you know, put a hand out to a number of people that have change their lives. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, not necessarily because it was anything I said that was special, but because they were at that, that point in their life where they're like, yeah, I'm done. You know, mm -hmm. 
Uh, I don't want this life anymore. I'm tired of this life. And, you know, they made a change, whether it was AA or Jesus or church or whatever they chose, you know what I'm saying? They found some, some way out. But, um, you know, some people too, I mean, they go to prison for that second or third time and they're like, you know, this is terrible. You know, I want to go to sleep next to my wife and eat a steak and play with my kid and, you know what I'm saying? Ride my motorcycle. And, you know, I don't want to go to jail no more. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And they, they make that decision to, you know, stop doing drugs or alcohol, you know, or they'll stop doing drugs and start maybe just drinking, you know. Yeah. Sometimes that swap's not real successful, but um, especially if you it, have it's that it's still addiction. a band-aid. Yeah, if you still have the addiction issue, I mean, uh, you know, it could be, you know, if it felt good to slam your hand in the door, you know what I'm saying, you'd you know, doing it all the time. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, if you're an addict, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, so you can, yeah. you know, stop doing, you know, cocaine and start smoking weed and abuse that, you know, mm -hmm. or, you know, stop drinking wine and, you know, start drinking beer and abuse that. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if you got mm -hmm. that ism that they talk about then. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know the answer to that, you know, on the reform side of things. Um, now, I've watched you, know. you on your social, uh, which I love the fact you became more public when you're out there doing a hunt, mm -hmm. right? And you're, you're, you're hunting down a skip, right? Yeah. I think that's the right terminology. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I did a little research. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. Chasing bad guys. But, um, yeah. you, you, uh, you, you, t I mean, you're this, you're this intimidating guy. Like you walk in, how tall are you? Like six, six two, six two. Yeah. You got this bald head, beard. You got this deep voice. Like it's damn near Moses, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, kind of a little, yeah. little scary, <laughs> right? I, you know, I, I wouldn't want to meet you in a dark alley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I would not want that, man. <laughs> I hope I would get a text. Uh, well, <laughs> hey, buddy, why don't you just come turn yourself in? And I, I, I was just talk. I was texting with the fugitive earlier that I'm actually friends with his family and he's on the run and we were talking smack to each other. Like before the holidays, I was all into, it. I was like, I'm going to get you motherfucker. And we were just like, you know, you're texting this I guy. I was texting this guy, you know, does he have an iPhone? Yeah. Can you track his iPhone? He, he might have. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. I didn't think about that. Cause I'm friends with his wife. Damn, my I just tell yeah. secret? <laughs> now my wife and, and, uh, and I are friends with this, this guy's you know, wife and he's addicted to drugs, man. And that's his problem. You know what I'm saying? That's why he's kind of on the lamb right now. And, uh, you know, I was having fun with it before the holidays, but then I got wrapped all up in this this business transition I'm going through, um, and I was like, kind of lost interest in it. And he texted me this morning and was talking some trash, bringing up some stuff I texted you know before the holidays when I was all. He's on up. the run and he's taunting. Well, I was talking mad trash to him, and then you know, so he started being like, "Yeah, may the best man win." I was like, kind of getting a little riled up, and I was like, "See, I don't have time to mess with this kid." You know what I'm saying? Like, you know. Because what I'll do is I'll get the streets against them. Yeah, no. I'll, I'll turn the streets against them because I've got connections with all the biggest heavy hitters on the streets, you know what I'm saying? Because I handle, um, you know, the biggest meth dealers, you know what I'm saying? Or crack cocaine dealers or these, you know, different, uh, you know, guys that run with these certain groups of people, whether it be gang-related or whatever. I've, I've, I've helped these people out for 20 years, you know what I'm saying? So I have confidential informants on the streets. And so just depending on who I'm looking for, I'll go to those people and let them know, hey, I need so-and-so, or things are about to start getting real messy, basically. You know what I'm saying? Like, so y'all can go ahead and bring them to me, and we'll just handle this deal up, no big deal, boom, boom, boom. Or I'm going to start hitting houses with law enforcement, and we're going to start taking people to jail, and that may be you or your friends or your family. So I'm just letting you know, bring me so-and-so. And so a lot of times they'll, they'll kind of brush me off. So you leverage while. fear. You, lever, you I mean, leverage kinda, fear I mean, consequence. Yeah, yeah, I mean, because it's just fact. Like, bro, I'm going to be out here in your area, and I'm going to start, and this guy's affiliated to you and your people. So I'm going to start picking off 
your people, and maybe you, you know what I'm saying? I'm not threatening you, but I'm just saying I'm going to be coming out here and we're going to be hitting these houses with law enforcement. If there's drugs or there's stolen cars and that kind of stuff, we're going to start taking people to jail. And they'll sometimes be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, they'll kind of brush me off, and then we start smashing houses. And people start going to jail. And, like, real quick, these, you know, people that are affiliated this is pretty fascinating. highly. Yeah, you know, they start calling, <laughs> and they're like, oh, oh, you know, like, one, they need to bond those people out of jail that just got arrested. And then, yeah. two, you know, they're like, oh, okay, yeah. You needed who again? I'm like, yeah, that's, I need this person. And then, you know, normally. Are they hoping for, the like, a handout? provide. Not particularly, because I already take care of those people. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But they kind of, it's like a fair weather friend or something, like, we're, mm. Or, you know, scratch my back. I'll scratch yeah, your ears. Yeah, you know, but then it, they, sometimes they're kind of slow. But you better get that spot on mine. Yeah. Though, right? <laughs> yeah. Because, and, they, and I mean, that's exactly like with this particular guy. I mean, the guys I was reaching out to, some of their close people started going to jail and they got mad. Cause so I kind of feared the streets would end up bringing me back this fugitive. But, you know, some of these guys get lucky and they'll just. They somehow just kind of weave in and out. They leave right before we get there. I mean, they, they just somehow have this blind luck. And this guy happens to be one of them, and I just don't have time for him right now. Um, I'll get geared back up and get riled back up. I need to kind of get through this this new business transition I'm going through and this buyout. But, uh, the business of being a bounty hunter. Yeah, the business behind banging banging doors. And- now, I will say there, uh, you were on a stakeout somewhere, what, a couple months ago, three months ago. Cause I, you know, I watch you on social media. Mm-hmm. I watch, and you were in some dump doing a stakeout with some guy. Like this place, like roach infested. You were doing a walkthrough. Uh, we were in that apartment doing surveillance out of an apartment. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we'll, yeah. we'll go to the apartment <laughs> management and get a key normally for that apartment where the fugitive's at. Mm. And then if we go in and they're not there, then a lot of times we'll ask for like an apartment, you know, across from it. Or literally sometimes, sometimes you go up the stairs and like their doors over here and we'll get the apartment right across and we'll be in like that peephole for like 10 hours a day looking through the peephole. <laughs> and so uh, I like having an apartment normally across where we can just kind of sit with our lawn chairs with the blinds open you know, looking <laughs> to see if they come. That Looking through uh, that, that fish eye for like 10 hours can kind of mess you up a little yeah. bit. You know? so, I normally tell my rookie guys to do that. But, uh, but yeah, we'll do that. And then some of them are nasty. You know what I'm saying some of the hotel, you know, the hotels uh-huh. or apartments that we're in are uh-huh. pretty, pretty funky. Straight up, is there a thrill literally when you've got to go hunt a man down? Is there like some inherent like I don't I, I think of a I think of a bounty hunter and I think of the movie Raising Arizona. Remember that with Nicolas yeah. Cage? Yeah, and uh, they called uh, Leonard Smalls, and uh, and he said it was I mean Hell's Angel guy just just looked like he was just dripping testosterone. Like just oozing from every pore, look like you could literally smell him through the TV, and uh, he puts his boot up on the on the desk, and uh, he goes, "My friends call me Lenny, but I ain't got no friends, right?" <laughs> I mean, he just looked like hell on on two feet, oh, right? Like the la- last guy you ever want to see walk up. Uh, but that that's always the 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 idea of like a bounty hunter, right? Or or you think of like the old Western days, right? You yeah. know, hunt a man down. Bounty, you know, five hundred dollar bounty or something like that. Not a dude in a pink shirt that pulled up in an infinity. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can still get dirty. I got my got gear on the bo- car, bro. We got I bougie mean, bounty. Uh-huh. That's what we got. <laughs> Cartier wristwatch. That's okay. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, my in-style boots. That's the spoils of hunting men down, right? <laughs> I mean, it can be. Uh-huh. Yeah, but it. But it I is, mean, there's big. I mean, like there's times where you know, you know. I mean, I think we closed the case out, made like nine or ten grand on one. You get guy. your mic a little bit closer. Yeah, we, we, we had like nine or ten thousand dollars. Yeah, was that good? A little better? Yeah, yeah we did. Um, 
I mean, some cases pay out big, you know, I mean, you can make $10,000, you know. So, so explain me how the, how the, the, the bail process works and then why you actually end up hunting a, a person down and then how you actually get paid. Yeah. So, uh, so if like somebody's got like a million dollar bond, right? Well, yeah, well, yeah, you don't see those very often, right. but let's say a hundred thousand dollar bond. You do occasionally see those. Um, so a hundred thousand dollar bond, we charge 10% to pick the person up. So $10,000. So if somebody gets arrested, so, whatever the crime is, the bond, the judge says hundred thousand dollar or hundred thousand dollar bond, right. Yeah. To get out of jail. They don't pay a hundred grand. Granny's not. not leveraging their mortgage to, to, to get a hundred grand. Yeah. I mean, depending on the state, every state and every County has its own laws. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So some laws, there is zero commercial bail. You know, you do the bond at the jail, your mom or dad would take the money to the jail, the 10%, 10% is kind of the average oh, ten, across okay. the board. So, okay. excuse me. <clears throat> so the way that like a bail bondsman works is we have an allotment of money that we write with here in, in each County. You have to be licensed in each individual County. If you want to write bail in it here okay. in the state of Texas, was there 252 counties or how many counties are there in the state? You know, uh, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah I think it's two, two fifty something. I can't remember. Jason, but, you can Google it. Yeah, he's all get, get his Google on. <laughs> but anyways, you have to be li- in Texas. You have to be licensed in in whatever county you do bail in. Okay. So, and you can write on property or you can write with insurance. Uh, we built our business right on a lot of property where we put up the the the, the cash or we put up the the property like commercial real estate that we own to write on. So let's say you put up a fifty thousand dollars CD in Montgomery County. That would give you five hundred thousand dollars with the bail to write on. So you so can that, kind of a ten coffer. times multiplier. Yeah, or so okay. we put up a, a hundred thousand dollar piece of property, like a residential, uh, residential or commercial piece of property. Two hundred fifty four. Yeah, two hundred fifty four. <laughs> I was cost two off. Uh, you know, let's say we put up a hundred thousand dollar piece of commercial property. That would give us ten times a million dollars worth of bail to write. So, like, if you came in with that five thousand dollar DWI or whatever and your mom or your wife or whatever doesn't have the $5,000, then what we do is we'll put the money up after we interview you normally or interview whoever's coming to co-sign, you know, your mom or wife or dad or whoever's coming to get you out of jail. So we'll normally have an interview with one of the two, either. Who am I going to go to first when you try to skip? Well, that's a good point. Well, a lot of times when I'm, (laughs) when I'm writing a bond, I mean, if I'm, if I'm writing a bond, a lot of times I'm writing it as if that person's going to miss, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, not judging the person, by male well, or female or job. ethnicity or whatever. <laughs> like I'm in, I'm kind of interviewing. I'm like, all right, can I find this person? Yeah. I mean, have you been in Montgomery County 10 months or 10 years or where'd you work? How long have you worked there? Where'd you work before? I mean, like I'm kind of doing the whole interview process. So, so I, I wager that I'm like, okay, well, cool. I'm, I'm good. You, you know, you've been here 10 years and been at your job for two and been married for five and you know, okay, mm-hmm. cool. I'll put my five grand up and I charge you five, 10%, 500 bucks. That's why I would charge mm-hmm. you to get out of it. And then a lot of times I can even do a payment plan on that. So like if your wife's like, man, you know, I just paid the mortgage and the car note and the kids private school. I mean, that's not the normal situation I'm running into, <laughs> yeah. but I'm like, cool. You know, how much do you have? Well, cool. I got 200 bucks. Cool. Bring me your 200. You know, so that, that was the other thing too, with a lot of bail reform, not to go too far back is that, you know, as bondsmen, we've always offered these people, these indigent or these poor people payment arrangements. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like, you know, the, like I, like I went back and told you earlier, the jail's not full of $500 bonds. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, people, we're going to make that work for that family member. Hey, bring us your hundred bucks. We'll get, you know, whoever, Billy Bob out, whatever the person's name is, Sally, whatever. So anyway, so on the bail side, so we do the bond. Your wife brings in the 500 bucks. We get you out of jail. You have court set for February 1st. 
And that's basically our job as a bondsman. We, you've hired us to basically keep you notified at court dates, make sure you're checking in weekly by phone. We're kind of adult babysitters, right? Make sure so, you show up for court. Yeah, so then you miss court on February 1st, and then that's where bounty hunting comes in. Um, you know, not all bail bond companies have in-house bounty hunters. We do. Okay. Okay. I also have another business that runs warrants and does bounty hunting for other bail bond companies. So I do in-house warrants for my companies with my bounty hunt team. And then we have Texas Bounty and Investigations that does outside warrants for other companies in the state of Texas or nationwide or in Mexico. And so basically that's where that comes in. So February 1st, you miss, then that's when the file gets brought to me and my guys. And we start looking, oh, okay, let's see. Okay. He works here. This is what he drives. You know, I've got all these database, you know. Programs. So what's the financial risk here when somebody doesn't show up for court? Uh, are, are you, you going to have to pay that five grand? Yes, that, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. The way that that works in the state of Texas is we have six months on misdemeanors before we have to physically write a check for $5,000. So 100, 180 days, six months on misdemeanors. Uh, 270 days, nine months on mm. felonies. Okay. So from that day you miss on February 1st, we've got till, you know, whatever what would that be if we we're doing a felony, that'd be November 1st, you know what I'm saying, uh-huh. before we physically had to write a check for $5,000. Okay. So it's kind of monopoly money. You know, I was telling right. you, we've got these pieces of property or, or, light, or, or CDs put up at the county. They take five grand off. We get you out of jail. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You miss court. Then if I don't find you in nine months, then I have to physically write that check for five grand. Okay. But if I arrest you within that nine month period, then I, my five grand just goes back in the, the coffer there okay. at the jail and okay. you go back to jail and the case is done. So then how, how as a bail bonds company, do you actually make money? So the 10% that charges you the 500 bucks to get out. Okay. But I'm gotcha. not making any money if you miss on February 1st and I have to go hire a bounty hunter. And then that's the fee a bounty hunter charges too is 10%. Mm. So you kind of made 500, picked a bad person to write a bond on because you didn't interview them correctly. Yep. And then you had to pay, you know, bounty hunter X mm-hmm. $500 to pick the person up. But it's mm-hmm. better than five grand. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so that's kind of how that system works. So being a, being an in-house, but then you're also contracted out to where you'll get 10% for if somebody doesn't have a, a bounty hunter mm-hmm. in their, uh, in their bail bonds business. So they're going to pay you that 10%. I mean, can just anybody get into bail and then say, Hey, I, I'll go hunt your guy down for 10%. No, you have to be, we're licensed. You're a licensed private investigator in the okay. state of Texas. That's how bounty hunting works. Okay. So in order to, I've got, I've got licensing under Department of Public Safety. So okay. So there's a uh, Texas Rangers, mm-hmm. DPS, and then there's private security. So which you're which is a private. I'm a I'm a licensed private investigator in the state of Texas. Okay, that's what a bounty hunter is mm-hmm. here. So that's how my licensing is. And there's a I mean FBI background check and all kinds of stuff that I have to do to be licensed with the state as a private investigator. Yeah, you right. just can't you can't have. Uh, too extensive of a criminal record. To well, that was my next that, question. That, that, I mean, like I did, I, I did get in, in trouble. That, that's why like, I've been around bail and bounty for a long time, but I have only been legally licensed as a bounty hunter, or private investigator for like the last 12 years mm. because I, I got in trouble in uh, 1999. Really? Uh-huh. I decided to go across the United States border and pick up some pharmaceuticals down in Mexico. Got jammed up <laughs> coming back across the border, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I told you, man. I mean, like, I was a full-blown, you know, addict alcoholic, you know, from, you know, 
the, my freshman year in high school. You know what I'm saying? Like, as soon as I put that stuff in my body, I was like, how it, the so, best thing ever. You know what I'm saying? So that said, so that getting in trouble, you know what I'm saying? Those felony charges, by the grace of God, my mommy and daddy had money to hire me a proper attorney and, and fight my case to where I, I didn't become a convicted felon. Mm-hmm. I got to do a probation type deal called deferred adjudication. Where yep. I completed that and, and then it fell off my record. It, mm-hmm. looked, it looks as I, I was arrested for that, but not convicted. Mm-hmm. A lot of people so, do that select that for their uh, traffic ticket. Yeah. Deferred <laughs> on your traffic ticket. I've done that too. <laughs> I used to get three tickets a year. I, I would do a, a deferred, I would do defensive driving and then I would fight the third one. That was in my, my wild days. <laughs> so how did so. you initially get uh, introduced to, to like hardcore drugs, you said you were you were in high school. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. I mean, by the time I was in high school, just some homies was, like, "Hey, give this a shot." Yeah, man. I just think that I mean, part of being an addict and alcoholic, I think that you just um, like there's something, uh, whether you want to consider your environment or your genetics. I mean, there's something that uh, I always kind of felt less than. I always felt different than other people. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. It was like I think that's what kind of falls in the genetic part for me. And so, I mean, like when I. Um, when I was introduced to drinking and, and drugs, it just, it was like that missing piece. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I did it. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm good looking enough. I'm funny enough. I'm, I'm witty enough. The girls love me. You know what I'm saying? Like I was like, boo, boo, boo. Like instantly. So I was like, of course I was like, what's next? It's like hyper. You know what I'm saying? I was yeah. like, Oh dude, LSD is awesome. You know what I'm saying? What's ecstasy like? Well, let's go get some. You know what I'm saying? And then it was like, you know, cocaine, methamphetamine, heroin. I mean, it just for me, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It just, it went, by the time I left uh, high school, I mean, I kind of covered the whole gamut. And I really, the catalyst for me, even though I started getting into drinking and, and drugs my eighth grade summer, I always had trouble. Wait, eighth, 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 grade, grade. eighth grade? Yeah. A little marijuana, a little, little alcohol. <sighs> and I, uh, yeah, it's funny because I've got a seventh grader now and I'm like, dude, look at this kid. You know, he's still holding my hand and stuff going to the grocery <laughs> store. You know what I'm saying? Like an awesome yeah. kid, likes to play violin and all this stuff. I'm like... You must, got, you must have got that from his mom, <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm saying? But, uh, but like, for me, I just, I, it, it, I always struggle with my academics, you know what I'm saying? And no pass, no play always kept me off of being an athlete, you know what I'm saying? Because I was an athlete first and foremost, mm-hmm. but I would make the basketball team and then that, um, that report card would come out and I would fail math. And it was just, it would just happen to me over and over and over. So being an athlete, not being able to hang out with the athletes, all my friends, I just kind of went to the next little group of people, you know what I'm saying? And those were some people I like to party. And so I was like, well, I'm going to become good at this. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Because like, mm-hmm. that's what I like to do. You know, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it good. You know 100%. What I'm yeah, 100%. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so, uh, so yeah, that was just a cat. And then the next year would come, and I'd fail off of my sports, and I just, the drugs, it's... Mm. Graduate high school, my friends went to the universities. I went to the junior college, started hanging around different people. The addiction kept taking a a farther step then I failed out of local you know junior college and dropped down another group of people and another group of people and it just you know when I when I finished up I was when I was at my jumping off point I was all by myself I would go get drugs or alcohol and go back to my house and just lock myself away in the house so what mm-hmm. started off as this like fun thing where I was like entertaining and you know putting the parties together in high school and you know, the cool popular kid, to, uh, you know, 10 years, 12 years later, I'm, you know, shooting drugs in my arm, locked up in my house, you know, 170 pounds, you know, I'm 220 now, 
You know what I'm saying? I was 170 pounds when I sobered up with big raccoon circles under my eyes and ghostly white and just dirty. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, like the full on, you know, what, real What deal. sobered you up? Because uh, you said I, you, were, I just, you, were, yeah, you were doing that run for about 10 years? At least, yeah, yeah. I've been sober longer now than I used. Mm. So, I, I used probably for like, I think like 14 years. So I sobered up August 25th of 04. It's my sobriety date. Mm-hmm. And I um, I mean, you, I was just you, health problems. I was having health problems, and the criminal justice system was this. <laughs> it was tightening in on me, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, it was like, I'm going to go to prison, you know what I'm saying? Because I'm on that probation, and I can't stay sober to pass the UAs. I couldn't stay sober. I knew I had to go report to felony probation that next morning, and I'd do drugs all night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd be like, coming to and wow. be like, in panic, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. what am I, do- what happened? What am I doing? Oh my gosh, am I going to have to take a UA, you know, a drug yeah. test? I mean, like, just tripping out, knowing I had to be there that next morning to do a drug test. Yeah. And I stayed up all night. And so, like, they are like, you're going to prison, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, I had some other health issues from my drug use. And um, and that was kind of like the point where I was like, okay, get sober or go to prison. I was like, I mm-hmm. think I'm going to get sober. Did your, and that did was your, for me, you know what I'm saying? I mean, did your family know about this drug? Yeah, I mean, I was, was the only pretty, child, you know what I'm saying? Right. So, like, it was very evident, you know what I'm saying? Like, I was I was like my oldest son, you know, sweet, loving, mama's boy. My mom raised me. Parents stayed married, still married, you know what I'm saying? Had a good life, never wanted for anything, you know what I'm saying? So it wasn't like I came from the household where I was abused or sexually abused or poor or not the right color or any of that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I had two cars in high school, you know what I'm saying? I had the Z Cavaricis, the Jabodes, you know what I'm saying? All the cool clothes, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Ran with the cool hot chicks and had all the popular people, but, like, I just, you know, fell off in the drug stuff, you know what I'm saying? Your parents didn't deal with it? I, I mean, mean, you like, know, so the answer, yeah. Well, I mean, well, yeah like, yeah. had they had a drug history? My or dad was or? always a heavy drinker. They talk about in AA you have, like, a... Uh, there's like three stages of, of drinker, mm-hmm. you know, um, is it, uh, like heavy, I can't think of the damn heavy alcoholic. There's three stages of it, but he was always very successful. You know what I'm saying? He liked to drink, you know what I'm saying? But like he always, you know, showed up, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a generational deal or what it was. Moderate, heavy, alcoholic. That's yeah. the three, the, the, the yeah. three phases yeah. that 12 steps talk about. And, and I'm not there to judge anybody, whether, you know, you're whatever, you know what I'm saying? That's for you to decide, you know what I'm saying? So with him, you know, but that's where I think of the genetics came from. His mom, my dad, they were all big drinkers. And I think it was acceptable, you know what I'm saying? But I don't think they just quite knew what I was getting into or was going to get into. Yeah. Did they confront you about it when they noticed it? Yeah. Like, yeah. They, they stepped in. And but I've like, got it under control. I mean, I think by the time they looked up, I was just, it was like, I think there was, it was way past go by that point. You know, know, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, My wife's brother two nights ago died of a heart attack. Mm -hmm. 20, 29, I think. Yeah. Or no, 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 I'm sorry. 39. Um, He was an accomplished swimmer, like. Junior Olympics kind of thing, right? Uh, parents were both physicians, uh, life of privilege, and just got wrapped up in the wrong scene and caught up, mm-hmm. right? You know what I'm talking about. Oh, you just, yeah. And you've always got it under control, 
Um, so you don't been to been to therapy a few times, and <clears throat> he's got three kids, right? And yeah. um, uh, his uh, his ex wife, the, the kids' mom, they they divorced a few years ago, but she kept him, you know, because it's that back and forth. I'm I'm good now. It's it's this like manic phase, right? You, mm. you kind of sober up a little bit. You got an, so you had an epiphany, and now I'm good. Yeah. Right. You, you got some things in your in your environment somewhat solidified. You got some control. Mm. Right. Which is what that is. It's a control thing. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. So taking the drug is a control like this is on my terms. Like I'm going to take this. Yes, it's a band aid, but this is on my term. Yeah. Right. And uh, my wife, bless her heart, she just couldn't handle it. She just like, like broke off communication with him. Um, my wife's dad is the one that really kept trying to help him in the best way he knew how, but you know, it's really difficult when you're a family trying to, uh, to help your, your child, you mm. know? Um, and it was a friend that found him blue, right? Had a OB cardiac arrest. Not sure. Yeah. Uh, don't know. Uh, he'd gone to the ER the night before apparently. Um, but you know, whatever <laughs> was like, you're, you're fine. And then yeah. I'm gonna slip out this jacket, bro. Yeah. Um, and it's sobering, you know, yeah. um, you know, when you, as a family, you do all you can and, which is the tragic end to a lot of these stories, unfortunately, you know? Yeah. And I mean, you see like the show intervention when people are like, you know, the family's just done, Yeah, you know? And it's like either, you know, you, you go get help or we're out. You have to be, you know what I'm which is kind of where my wife was. Yeah. Right. I, uh, I was kind of that way with my mom being manic depressive, bipolar, violently abusive, just crazy tumultuous life. Um, in my mom's history, uh, alcohol, alcoholism, uh, depression, suicide. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I remember I, I lived in fear a lot because uh, I kept waiting for like something in life to be that trigger that would either put me into that situation. I'd end up in, you know, using alcohol or, or drug smoking, all that shit scared me. I was a cyclist from the age of like 12. So anything like that scared the shit out of me. Mm. Right. I, of course I wasn't around people that, you know, were drug users or anything, but alcohol was a thing. Yeah. My parents didn't have it in the house, but I've been to parties in high school, you know, drinking Everclear and, you know, but you know, I <laughs> had my car get home. That, that is, that did happen. <laughs> like I do not know how I got home, but my mom knew oh, I was drunk and waking yeah. me up with a vacuum cleaner. Right. Like yeah. dear God, shut the world off. Right. <laughs> Um, but I had to watch my mom just being so manic and just the back and forth growing up. Uh, I just was like, I'm, I'm done. Like I told my dad, I'm like, you, this is your wife. You got to deal with it. I don't want to deal with this shit anymore. Like I, it's, you're not my responsibility. No, right. Kid. And at the same time, it's like, it's my mom. And then, you know, like my wife, you know, having to just cut off from her brother and, you know, it's killing her right now. Yeah. I mean, it's nobody in the family is on one hand it's a relief cause he, he struggled so long back and forth and it's just, you know, just this, this hard thing. Don't mean to make this about my, my situation, but it's, it's how it rolls. That's how the combo goes. You but know, it, but it, it's like the, the tragic end that yeah. you, you came to a point where you were able to at least make a, a decision to go, I'm, I got to stop this mm -hmm. for whatever repercussion was you were in fear of, but it was like, I, I can't keep doing, going down this road, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, yeah. I mean, was, this is my fourth time to get sober, you know. So, I mean, I originally sobered up in 01, January of 01, and then, you know, I went out, and it just, you know, they talk about, you know, it gets worse, 
every time. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, how much worse could it get? I mean, I was a skeletor, you know, bag of bones. You know what I'm saying? IV drug user. You know, how much lower could it go? And it got, they got, every time I went out, I would, like, crash through that bottom. What made it stick? For you? I mean, like, for me, you know, I'd met my now wife when I was out on one of my relapses. You know what I'm saying? I'd Mm. been doing good. I was 18 months sober, and I remember I was, like, uh, you know, the car and the job. And like, I was like, man, I just need this girl. You know what I'm saying? I need I, just to complete me. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I'm she's doing a so hoss, good. by the way. Like, yeah. Yeah. Suzette's uh she's a, you don't want to mess with her in a dark yeah, alley either. Man. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. And, um, and so like, I was like, yeah, I got all this to offer somebody else now, you know, cause I loved myself again. Right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So like, yeah. of course, you know, for me, I was like, well, how do you meet girls sober? You know, I just didn't know. I had ran, you know what I'm saying? So I'm like, I don't know this formula. Go start drinking again. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And that's, and I was like right out the door. And of course for me, it was never about drinking. You know, it wasn't ever about smoking weed, which I told myself when I was like, I'm so smoking a little pot, you know, I'm not on probation no more. I'm just having a couple of drinks like the old man after work. And then I'd just be like, like, I mean, gone on drugs within days. It's a slippery slope of justification. Yeah. So, so when in between that third and fourth time I'd met Suzette and, uh, when I decided to start partaking, when she figured out who I was, I kind of took the mask off. I was like, Hey, I'm really an recovering addict addict, (laughs) alcoholic. And she's like, Oh my God, but I love you. You know what I'm saying? And then of course I was like, I'm just going to do a little of this. And she's like, "Uh, no, you're not. And I was like, yes, I am. And she was like, see you later. And she left. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And I just jumped off the cliffside, just, mm. and you know that was back when the texting was the T nine, the one 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 five 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 seven. You know you'd have to press all the buttons to send a text. You know what I'm saying? I'm oh man, texting. kids don't realize and, yeah, texting don't was effort then. <laughs> yeah, it's like three 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 four four five five seven. You know we were trying to send out a text message T nine, and uh, I just sent boobs. Yeah, you know Did that you? was that was yeah. as creative as I would get. Yeah, B O O D. Yes. Oh, uh, <laughs> so I'm texting and calling and emailing, and she's never responding. So you know, uh, my birthday of '04, August 14th of '04, I was whooping it up in Austin, drinking and drugging and all that with a bunch of people. And she texted me and was like, "Hey, life's a choice, Elliot." And she said a couple other things, but I just remember that one part. Mm. I remember being like, damn, like I hadn't heard from her in seven months, like at all. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And I was seeing other people. I'm sure she was too. And I say seeing other people, you know, that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But um, I called her on the way home uh, from Austin. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, things are great. You know what I'm saying? I'm doing so good. And, like, I'm just like, you know what I'm saying? Just that skin and bones and just, you know, looking yeah. terrible. And, like, my life is completely falling apart. And uh, and she's like, yeah, I'm going to be in Houston for work. And that, that was kind of the segue. So I was like, oh, you know, here's my chance. You know what I'm saying? So that kind of mm-hmm. got me back on track initially until I wanted to do it for myself. You know, without getting into the whole story, right? Like, yeah, that's yeah, kind of yeah. she came to Houston <laughs> and then saw me and was like, Whoa, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, yeah. I'm doing good, you know. I'm like, yeah. Once again, 170 pounds, you know, you know, bag of bones, and and uh, you know, she's kind of like, Oh, you know, because she was successful, you know, college graduate, you know, working for you know, Fortune 500 company, you know what I'm saying? I mean, like, she's like, you know, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I, I don't know how. I ended up with her, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know? Uh but you know what I'm saying? So but anyway, that was her life, little project, man. her little puppy she brought <laughs> yeah. home. Mom, can I keep it? You know what I'm saying? But uh but yeah, so you know, that was kind of the catalyst. And, you know, I got sober and you know, we got married and had kids and you know, and that kinda of, you know, we did, I guess, what everybody in, in America, you know, how you do it, you know, you 
graduate high school and go to college and get married and have kids and retire from your job and yeah. play with grandkids and then you die. We're trying to rewrite that now. You know, man, all these, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, everybody, that's what we do, right? I mean, it's just like, do, 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 you know, so. That was kind of the baby boomer generation, generation before that. Yeah. Right? But the, the boomers were, were really that, you know, post-war, let me find a stable job that I, because, yeah. you know, coming from the trauma of, you know, wartime and Ruby Riveter and, you know, fighting on the front lines or mm. losing siblings or, now you're coming at it going, I, I want to enjoy my freedom and I'm going to find a good job, stable job, something that's consistent that I can live the American dream and buy the house and have the kids yeah. and, and retire. And then what? Well, then, then the sixties. Yeah. Well, then our then, parents were born, you know yeah. what I'm saying? And then, yeah. and then, you know, here we came in the seventies, you know, yeah, of course that that was the deal with, you know, Suzette and I, my parents were at Woodstock, her parents were at the Republican convention. So like when we came together, it was like, whoa, but like, uh, but you know what I'm saying? It was like, you know, so our, they modeled yeah. that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And our parents modeled that. And then we, you know, so I think we're trying to, you know, change that up a little bit. Not that it's like necessarily bad, but like. Why not ask why? You know what I'm saying, and question some things. And we're in a we're in a strange know. era, uh, you know. Awakening, it's awakening, bro, right now. Yeah, there. I think there's a lot of. Well, I I, I partly uh, thank the internet, social media, for the ability to create side hustles, create a business for yourself that, you know, pre social media, uh, to get a side job, you had to go pick up a night shift or yeah. pick up a side job. You had to, you know, you can do a lot of this stuff from home. Yeah. Right. Uh, scale a business, scale an idea, sell a shirt that you don't even make, you don't even touch, yeah. sell a million of them, right? Like there's so many different avenues. I almost bought a $30 one of those on <laughs> Instagram last night. I was like, ooh. Dude, was that's like, how they get you. Sacred Geometry. I was like, yeah. I like that. And I was yeah. like just about to click. I was like, dude, by the time I get this mailed, it's like 40 bucks for yeah. a t-shirt. What? Yeah, no, yeah. I've been seeing these really nice fancy watches for like $39, but they're marked down for 500 <laughs> But that's the deal, right? Yeah. And I mean, like you can have two or three or four of those, and I mean, mm. all these different you know yeah. flows of income. You're nine to five, and you know, it, yeah. people people shit on millennials, but I, I will say uh, they are some of the most hardest working people, as long as it's self serving. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll say that, right? I mean, they are masters of social media. They are masters of creating content that get people's attention. I mean, it. They are smart, yeah. and they're not afraid to work just not in the traditional sense, <laughs> yeah. right? To properly corral and direct like cattle, if you will, like, you know, if you're a, what do you call it? A rancher, ranch hand. Uh, try to think of that show Yellowstone. What do you call the guys? Oh, dude, that is such a cool what, what show. Call, oh my God. I'm, We're going to take him to the railroad station. Oh man. Oh, yeah. like, yes. <laughs> dude, I love that show. Oh my God. <laughs> what is so the guy's good. name? Rand? I'm just, uh, I'm terrible uh, with everything about movies and TV shows, yeah. but that is one I love. Yeah. You know, um, actors and actresses and all that. I'm like, but uh, it, to be able to, because they 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 want a job with purpose, right? But as long as that purpose is somewhat self serving, or they feel like they're actually doing good, man, they're they're in it, right? But they're doing five other things at the same time, right? Yeah. Uh, one of our influencers for Balanced Foods, uh, I was Facetiming her one day talking about some things, and uh, she goes, "Let me just show you what my day looks like." Full time influencer, right? Mm -hmm. Which for a lot of people, it's just that, that, that we're just, there's a disconnect with like the boomers and the Gen yeah. Xers of like the nine to five, right? But she turned on this grease board. It was a four by eight full of all the pieces of content she had to create that day yeah. for all of the Stay business relevant. partnerships yeah. that her husband who 
owns another company, ammunition company actually, makes a handgun, 22 Magnum that fits in an Altoid 10, by the way. Mm. Crazy. Yeah. That's all the discussion. Um, but she goes, this is what I do every day. Now, she makes a living, a pretty good living from it. Yeah. Right? But it, it, it's, a, it's a job for her. Yeah. But it, she said one day, she goes, but honestly, when, I, when it's not my job, I don't even want to see myself in the mirror because I'm so tired of selfies and selfie videos and the editing and, and all that. She goes, I, I, I get sick of myself, right? Yeah. But th- there's, but she works seven days a week. Yeah. Creating content. And, mm. and, but if you take that, you take that energy. So we're in this place where now, like for, you know, Gen Xers, right? Uh, Gen Y coming in. Um, it's having the ability to keep our energies and our focus on things that, uh, give us a result, right? Yeah. That, that we don't have to necessarily leave home because Suzette, she owns a dog training business. Yeah, right. and train at canine. Yeah, and um, which, how long, how long have you guys had that? Three years. Three years? Yeah. And that's, that. of course, I'm sure COVID hasn't helped. I mean, dude, she's recreated herself in the business in this space. I mean, like, what really? can, you can either sit back and be like, when's my next stimulus coming? Or you better get creative, right? Mm-hmm. If you're a business owner, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I mean, and that's uh, something that, I mean. But I'm, social I'm created super, an, an opportunity yeah, to be able to scale Yeah, I mean, her Instagram, I mean, uh, the Facebook that they have, YouTube. I mean, all the coaches that she follows, how she found, you know, you and her linked up. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Through, yeah. Arte, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, just like, I mean, social media is, I mean, golly, dude. And, like, her presence on that and uh, how she promotes herself and, you know, getting photos done and, yeah. you know, I mean, uh, the business, man. I mean, like, I've, I've been super happy to watch her, you know what I'm saying, and what she's done with the dog business in, in this climate. You know what I'm saying? Because if you think about it in the, in the dog business, not to shift too hard on you there, uh, <laughs> I mean – you know, when you're now working remotely and you're with your dog seven days a week and you're like, holy shit, this dog's terrible. You know what I'm saying? Where before, you know, you'd throw Fifi in the kennel at nine in the morning and you'd head to work for until five and come home and let the dog out and it's, and you take it on a walk out of your apartment. You know what I'm saying? You're like, yeah. ah, this dog's crazy. It's just been in its kennel all day, whatever. Well, now you're home seven days a week and you're like, this dog's an asshole all the time. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not just like when I let it out of the kennel after being in there for eight hours. Yeah. And so, uh, so like we found that space to be able to, you know, sell some, you know, $2,500 dog training, $3,000 wow. dog training, even in COVID. You know what I'm saying? Wow. Because I mean, we're, we're, we're one of the more expensive dog training companies in the city of Houston. But um, just we provide a great service. And, I mean, just the reviews we have and the comments. And, I mean, like, we have just a cult following of, of clients that are, you know, because every once in a while you'll get a client that you didn't meet their expectations and they'll kind of throw something always that one social. Karen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and, then, and then it's like. And this is the age of Karens, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> if we, 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 we'll respond, of course, because that's what you're supposed to do, you know, yeah. quickly. But, you know, then all of our followers are like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're dog pile them, you know. So it's like, oh, cool, you know. We uh, with tune up. It's Karen. funny. We'll see the reviews <laughs> and guys will complain about a bad haircut. And, man, customers, like, flood. Yeah. Like, you just, you just. You didn't ask for them to redo it. Like they, they defend, like you, you create this base of loyal fans to your brand. Yeah. Right. Uh, You know, and, and even, you know, even in the comment, you know, one of the more expensive ones, you know, there is a market for every price point. Yeah. As long as your price point has, is backed by value. For sure. Right. And it's not necessarily too, that your training is that much smarter than the next guy where the up and comers, you know, I was a photographer, uh, they were like, 
well, I just can't afford that. Okay, well, go to a guy that you can. Yeah, I got a suggestion for you. I just try this know, guy. I just know my time. I know what I've done, and yeah. I'm I'm gonna be you know three grand for the day. So, <laughs> gosh, that's a lot. Well, yeah, yeah. it is. But a lot of people pay it. So, yeah. here's a couple Appreciate of names you. for you. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> these guys are probably better than I am, yeah. and they're on the cheap. So get them right now while they're young. <laughs> you know what I mean? Before they get too expensive, right? But uh, there's always a there's but there are some. I mean, look when you broke. You'll, you'll find a way to buy those new uh, AJs. Yeah. Because there's a value in that for you, right? Whether it's status, image, association, braggability, ego, whatever. Um, but when there's something you want, you'll find a way to get it. Yeah. Every time. Well, that's what always kind of comes into my, like we talked earlier about my, my limiting beliefs around money, you know what I'm saying? And some of the different things, you know, like if I want some AJs or I want to buy a new, you know, Can-Am side by side, like I'm going to figure it out. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm mm -hmm. going to put X, Y, and Z together and make this happen and make room in my, my, my monthly bills to tack this on here or whatever it may be. But then when it comes, like we were talking about opening, you know, different businesses and different ideas and things like that, I sometimes find myself getting capped. You know what I'm saying? But there's no limiting belief behind wanting that new $5,000 gun. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'll figure that out. But some of these different business ventures that you know, we were kind of talking about earlier that have kind of come across my plate in 2020 that you know, I sometimes wonder, you know, that was kind of, you know, like when you, when you talked about that, because that makes sense to me. My wife's always like, I, you know, I can't figure out why you can, can make that happen. But sometimes when we're looking to break through to that next level, she's not coming at me in a negative way. Yeah. But, you know. She's one of the most positive people I've ever seen, by the way. I mean, she's, yeah, you know. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, she is, dude. But I'm married we'll to her. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's yeah. probably going to be watching just, this. Yeah, she's firm. You know what I'm saying? Like, for sure, bro. I mean, like, yeah. You're going to, there's, there's only two Suzettes that are going to show up. And there's that one. And then there's the other one that's like, you know. <laughs> Look, I'm married to a Sicilian. I get it. Right? Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know, man. I mean, I I, I just I, I love business, you know what I'm saying? And that's why one of the things when you kind of came at me and we're talking about doing this and sitting down and kind of the people you're running with. And even when we talked months ago, um, I just I think, you know, like you were talking about those five people that you're 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 surrounding yourself with mm -hmm. and I've just been looking to position myself, you know, around guys that are, you know, doing what I want to do, you know what I'm saying, in the future, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Financially, you know. So. It is a, it's a, we really overlook our surroundings. You know, we, we so easily use them as a crutch, right? We yeah. use them as an excuse. We use them as a way to uh, not move out of it, right? We were talking about socioeconomic upbringings and, you know, I, I grew up, man, my, my parents were, when I was little, middle class. When I was high school, broke. Mm. Like water to the pot of beans, mm. eating cornbread, tortillas, uh, but I, you know, at that age in high school, I had my bike and my drum set, everything else. I didn't really notice. Yeah. I didn't notice that hardship my parents went through other than that one winter. I think I was sophomore in high school. Um, my dad was working three jobs. My mom was basically a vegetative state through her manic ups and downs mm. and weaning herself off of medications, you know, cause she was healed. Mm. Um, <laughs> and, uh, feel great. Yeah. Uh -huh. Stop taking that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And it, like, and of course, my mom was volatile. Like, I, you know, her and dad would get into arguments and dishes would fly, mm. right? That kind of shit. And, you know, if something was in reach, she'd just grab it and whip me with it, beat me with it, right? Yeah. If it, because I didn't know what mom was showing up either. Yeah. Every day, right? Was it going to be mom that was going to attack me or the mom that actually was kind of nice? Mm. 
but that that niceness was very few and far between. Like, love her, yeah. Um, may she rest in peace. But it, it just she was she was hard to have as a mom. But through that, I remember uh, wondering for myself, uh, you know, emotional reactions to com- somebody coming at you like that is you're you're going to at least posture mono mono, right? You you at least want to show, hey, you know, mm-mm. you know, so you're going to have that almost kind of like matched response. Mm right? That you can't overtake me. And I remember, I think I was, uh, 13, 14. My mom was like four foot 10. I think at that time I was maybe five, five. I'm a good five, eight on a good day. <laughs> Solid. Solid. Um, but, uh, she was going to try to give me, uh, swats with a belt or a paddle or something, whatever, whatever was in reach. And, uh, she was going off yelling at me and she told me to bend over and I grabbed her, her wrist. And I said, don't you effing touch me. And all of a sudden she got scared. Like all of a sudden she realized she did not have power over me anymore. Mm. And of course, then she cried to dad and I, you know, tried to attack her and all this BS that, you know, being a vic- victimization does. Mm, right. Yeah. Um, then you manipulate in that way. Um, but uh, I, I, I wondered uh, often, I, I think I have the same temp, the same temper as my mom, which scared the shit out of me. Cause I don't, i never wanted to have kids and be made to feel the way that she made me feel. Yeah. Right. But I lived in fear for a long time because she would, she had a, she had two big triggers in life. One, when my grandparents split, she was 16. She ended up in a mental hospital for like six months. And this was in the sixties when, you know, they were drilling holes in the side of your head. Weird shit, shit, you know, (laughs) that was therapy. Um, And then, you know, then she got on the other manic side with the pendulum and she was hyper-focused and workaholic and, you know, house was immaculate 24 seven and, you know, just driven, like when she left one job, they had to get five people to replace her, like to do her job, like crazy. Right. And then dad was a pastor and then worked on a freight dock at night. Right. So I grew up in this very strange childhood, but mom was manic and crazy with me when dad was never there. So he never saw it. Mm. And I just, so I grew up just angry, but also in fear that I was going to be like my mom. And I kept waiting for, um, a trigger event in my life to get me to go down that spiral of being manic and ending up like my mom. So I lived in fear for a long time. Cycling was my control mechanism. It was my escape, right? Cause I could get on the bike and I could ride as far or fast as I wanted to. And I did. Mom never knew how far I would go away from that house. <laughs> if she did, she would have taken that bike from me, uh, sawed it in half. 50 but, miles. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, it was ridiculous. Um, but, but again, it was instead of drugs, that, that was it for me, mm. right? Healthy outlet, yeah. mind you, but, Still, it, it was my escape, and uh, and it was my first marriage. Uh, life, my first wife left, uh, and then thirty days later, I got laid off from my really great job of being an engineer for a cell phone company. And uh, my life just the rug just got yanked, right? And I I was like high ego, like look what I've created, down to oh shit, what am I gonna do? Mm. And when I was a sophomore in high school. Uh, my parents couldn't afford to pay some of the bills. We, they turned our gas off, so we didn't have hot water. I got two ear infections. I remember this. And I just remember going, this is, is life ever going to be better than this? I lived in Marshall, Texas, little bitty tiny town, right? Oh, yeah. You're either white collar or you're working for that white collar, <laughs> right? And uh, <laughs> life just kind of went sideways. Things weren't working out. And I just kept coming to this place going, this is not the life I want. But I, there has to be something more, right? But I lived in fear. So I kept operating from a position of defense, mm. which was limiting because we don't think clearly on the defense. We're short-term. We want to mitigate pain to get rid of it right now. We're not thinking long-term. 
right? Which is drugs, alcohol, whatever addiction. It's a, yeah. it's a short term, some call it a Band-Aid, right? And my uncle, I think it was at the holidays, and I was kind of, a, he, he goes, man, I don't, I don't know how you've ended up so, so positive, so great through all this stuff in your life. And I'm thinking, dude, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like I, I'm, I, and I told him, I said, I, I'm honestly afraid I'm just, I'm going to be like my mom. And I'd come through a lot, right? Uh, at that age, uh, 26, 27. And he said, honestly, MD, if you had those tendencies, it would have already have happened. That was my moment. Because mm. I realized, wow, I've been living in such fear for so long. I wasn't realizing what I was coming through. I didn't realize what I was actually capable of in, in, in lieu of all the things, all the struggles, all the pains, all the hurts, all the abuse, all of that. Had I had those tendencies, they would have already have surfaced. Yeah. I need to quit worrying about what I think is there and focus on who I actually am as a result of it. Mm. That's when it changed for me. Yeah. Not completely. I didn't have my epiphany, true epiphany until, uh, am I 47 now? Late thirties. Right. Um, when it kind of hit, you know, my patterns in my life outcomes were based on my decisions. I was the common thread. Yeah. Right. I decide baby. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, for you, like you're facing people every day trying to get them back on track. And I've seen how you are with the, with the guys that you pick up, right. You're very, uh, almost, uh, therapeutic with them, you know, almost like let's bro out before yeah. we have to go back respect in. Respect you, man. You respect me. I respect you. Now you have an interesting association with dog, the bounty hunter, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Of course we all know him from his TV show and how him and, and, uh, Beth, Beth yeah. were with kind of having a consult, getting him a burger, having a cigarette, you know, having a little, you know, heart to heart, right? After the chase of when like, like he's cussing people out, like I'm going to find this MFR and like the, the, the hunt when the hunt's over, it's over. Now it's the human part of like this massive level of compassion. And you, you really operate with that too. Yeah. I never modeled that. I'd never watched dog, the bounty hunter. Like, like that, that to me was always kind of like, you know, that's not how it is, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I, I'd always, that's how it was with my clients too. When I, when they mm. missed court, you know what I'm saying? It was game on. And then when I found them, like I had already, it wasn't like, I, I always tell people like I won, you know what I'm saying? But like it was mm. over, you know what I'm saying? Like I, whether it was one day, one week, six months, whatever, whenever I got them, it's done. You know what I'm saying? And if you're cool, we're going to get your shoes, hug the kid, kiss the wife, have a cigarette. You're going to come out, you're going to be cuffed at, at, immediately behind your back until everything's assessed. But if everything's good and you've been respectful and everybody's respectful around the house and my team's safe, then you know, we might bring the cuffs around front, let you kind of have a smoke and you know, lace your shoes up and we'll head on out. But, I mean, so, it's always about safety, but but yeah. I mean, I, I filmed, I did all Dog and Beth's third season of their show, uh, Dog and Beth on the Hunt. I filmed their whole show with them in Texas. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, third third season of uh, Dog and Beth on the Hunt. So there was Dog the Bounty Hunter, and then with A and E, yeah, and he lost that contract, and then he yeah. went over to CMT, and yeah. then Dog and Beth on the Hunt. So I did that last season. It was the last seasons of their show, but then when Beth got sick with cancer, uh-huh. I, can't, I can't remember who picked up like one season, and mm-hmm. I think they might have picked back up with them again mm-hmm. uh, for a second season or whatever they're doing since Beth's passed. Mm-hmm. But um, 
Yeah, I'm still friends with Leland, uh, yeah. dog's son, and yeah. we're good buddies. He's probably going to come out and do the grand opening for my new bond office in Montgomery oh, okay. County. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So it, make, it makes so me – I did I, rise that top in that area, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, like I've kind of gone to the pinnacle in that, that arena, I guess, you know, being on TV and stuff like that. Yeah. You know? Which you say that, and now – can, can we even talk about it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we can talk about it. We can't talk about really, you know, we're doing a, a bounty hunt TV show currently that's been okay, yeah, that's been filmed in four big metropolitan cities here in the United States, and we're gonna do a Somebody's 44. About to go wild. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, this may be, yeah, the, 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 the interview before the big <laughs> yeah. time, you know what I'm saying? We're gonna sit down. I'm just saying, hey. I mean, like that, the, the team I put together, I'm not, that not, we, no cups involved, but yeah, uh huh, the team that we we cast. And the crew that I've got that's editing the film, and I'll be doing the host portion of the show. And, uh, I mean, like, I feel like there's a lot of good vibes behind it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, that my business partner is a, a big-time cameraman on, like, Deadliest Catch, Ice Road Truckers, Live PD. How'd like you make that association? We went to high school together. Get out. Yeah, so that's why when we formed our, our <laughs> LLC, we it's called uh, 25 Years Later Productions. Because, you know, 25 years later, we're like, yo, oh. You know, I we love that. Up. Yeah, it's like seven yeah. bucks, right? It's really yeah, that kind of, that kind of it's story. It's really yeah. And then one flight up productions is our other company that we formed at the beginning of twenty twenty when we raised the capital to do the show. And mm. um, like I said, I'm always kind of cooking. I think that's what my deal is right now is focusing on bail bounty, the TV show, kind of focusing on my my set of tools. You know what I'm saying? I think I've been trying to put my hand out here and you know corporate you're, COVID you're, testing and you know PPE products and mm. I think I need to really blow up what I do best. And then we've been kind of in survival mode, right? I guess. Yeah, I guess. I yeah. mean, like I've done good. I've, I've, I've made good it's money. Like hustle and lemonade on the corner. I, like you're yeah, just trying to, I mean, I would, dude, yeah. that's funny. I mean, when I was a kid, I mean, I was born to do sales. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I mm. sold golf balls in our, in our subdivision growing up. You know what I'm saying? Like I would go get in the ponds and I would get golf balls that's, off the bottom of the pond and I'd take them home and clean them up. And I had my wagon. I'd park it on the main drag before you got to the golf course. I had all my golf balls in there. So on Saturday and Sunday, I'd be out there selling golf balls and Get little kids, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I mean, I've always, you know what I'm saying? I'd be selling fireballs at school, you know what I'm saying? Like, we'd Scrappy. go get the big thing from from Sam's. I'd be doing the two for two for 25. Yeah. And, you know, then I became good at selling drugs later on. But, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? But I, but, but, I mean, I've always had that sales, that business kind of deal, you know what I'm saying? So I think I think this show idea, we've been showing it to some different people, and they're, they're super excited about it what we have and the, and the concept that we have because you know, it's different than any of these other, you know, mm -hmm. some of these bounty hunters on YouTube and, you know, dog, the bounty hunters kind of deal. It's a different, different style. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've always believed uh, in marketing uh, to be the most effective. You have to market like a drug dealer and sell like a stripper. <laughs> hey, I mean, yeah. really, when you, when you think about marketing as a business uh, in social change, guerrilla marketing, right. Yeah, opportunities, yeah. right. There's no gatekeeper. You can be, you can scale attention globally in the matter of 24 hours, right? Use the right hashtag, have the right association, you're off the charts. Yeah. But then you got to maintain it, right? Um, I think we see on Shark Tank, you know, yeah, we had this one post and went viral. And then they're like, okay, but then what? Yeah. Right? How do you maintain that mm -hmm. momentum? But you you know firsthand, um, you know, as a, as a dealer, you want to own, you don't want somebody coming out of your territory. You're not going to let somebody come and sell to your customer base, Yeah. but there's this loss of intensity in marketing where you just think, I'm just going to get a piece of my pie. No, yeah. I want to own that pie. Yeah. yeah. I want the whole, I want the bakery. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then I want the suppliers. Yeah. And then when you sell, look, 
been to strip club. Most guys, I mean, come on, let's all, you know, a couple times, a couple times. They work. They, they want more money. So what do they do? They build a relationship. They appeal to you. They listen. They, it's fake because they just want to make a couple of hondos for the night. <laughs> a couple of blues. But, but they're all about upsell. <laughs> all about the upsell. But they do it in a way that you just want to give them your, your entire wallet. <laughs> right? And then you got to go home and look at how many ATM oh receipts. The game Because the ATM's in the front lobby. You know what I mean? Ooh, but, when you, but when you look at marketing and sales in that respect, it changes the whole level of intensity and focus. Right? So... With you now with social media, um, with, cause you're, you're now breaking off cause you've had your, your one bail bonds place in downtown Houston. You're now breaking apart, uh, breaking away from the bail bonds you've had up here in Montgomery County mm-hmm. that's with some family. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, Which, one family member and, and their business partner. Yeah. So now starting your own individual siloed business. Yeah. How's that going? I mean, family dynamic my, yeah. is rough, man. It's bad, man. Because you know, the business partner is my dad. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and it's, I mean, like, you know, my dad's always been an entrepreneur, you know what I'm saying? And that's been like, you know, it's just, it's, 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 it's sad. One that, you know, I was told for years to kind of stay in my lane. That's all going to be yours one day. You know what I'm saying? And kind of fast forward mm. when that time came. Did he do bounty too? No, just bail, just bail side. You know what I'm saying? He's done some pickups, but when it comes time, you know, I kind of approached him like, hey, the other business partner, here's his package. I got it all boxed up. Here's what we're going to do. And he was kind of like, oh, I think I'm going to go with him as my partner. And I was like, oh, I mean, like literally my world just like shattered. You know what I'm saying? Because that's my dad. You know what I'm saying? Like 18 years of being like, just stay in your lane. Why do you Don't do that? go up or down or... I mean, dude, I think, you know, I mean, my hands aren't the cleanest in the partnership. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there, I have dirt on my hands just like everybody else. You know what I'm saying? And I mean, like, in, and on the front side of that partnership in 18 years, I was under the influence of drugs and alcohol. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Which kind of set a bad setup for my business partner that I'm kind of equally yoked with in the company because he was mm. working hard and I was just kind of showing up twice a week. The you one know, that I met? Patrick, yeah, was yeah. his name, yeah. Okay. Um, so there were some a couple of years on the front side, and I put a good solid ten plus in the middle. Yeah, and then this last three years or so, I've been focused on other businesses. You know what I'm saying? I've been mm-hmm. working half. You know what I'm saying? Like putting my my ten twenty hours, you know, at bail, and I'm doing dogs, and I'm you know trying to sell you know, <laughs> you know ammunition deals, and you know what I'm saying? It's a good time for that. Yeah, nitrile <laughs> gloves, and I'm like getting all these different commodities, and so like these guys, you know. My old man and my business partner are like, well, this dude's not serious. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Even though, like, I've gone into some of these discussions of just, like, my mane just, like, shining and I'm chest puffed out. Like, I've just built this whole company, but I've been right-sized, you know what I'm saying, the last couple of meetings with my wife sitting there, you know what I'm saying? Like, leaving that like leaving that meeting and her kind of lacing me up a little bit, like, well, you know, you did do this, this, and this, and that, and kind of gave me the full picture of my place you know, too, you know what I'm saying? I'm not shining in this deal. But anyway, so I just, I, I think that, you know, uh, sometimes I've just been held in that, even though I've been sober for all these years, I think that maybe my old man just doesn't know, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Well, if I'm coming or going, or if I'm going to be on to the next shiny business opportunity or what it is, I think he feels comfortable with the other partner. You know that, has and that, it hurts, bro. It's sad because I mean, like, I'm trying to form TWC IDs and EINs and get with the CPA about, hey, should I do an S corp or an LLC? And I'm yeah. like, oh my gosh, a management company over that. And I'm like, I just didn't focus on any of that. You in can, this last you can deal. relate. 
You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like I just, you know what I'm saying? Like that wasn't, we all had our roles, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Bail Management Incorporated, you know what I'm saying? And I kind of did, you know, the face of the company and chase bad guys and did the money and stuff. And these guys all did their thing. But so now I'm like, oh, I don't need you. You know, I'm out of here, buy me out. You know, and then I'm like, I get over here and I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> these guys were doing a lot. You know what I'm saying? You know, and so I'm kind of having this birth by fire over here, learning how to structure this company that I'm trying to start. And, um, I don't have my dad there. You know what I'm saying? Like, Hey dad, what, what do you do in this situation? Because we're like competitors now. You know what I'm saying? We're going into the, we're going to compete in the same market. Has so that, it's kind of tough. I mean, bro. Cause you guys have yeah. been at this together for what? 18 years you said? I mean, yeah, I've been involved with the company for 18 years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, have you guys always been able to keep work and family separate? We haven't. And that, that was kind of how I approached him when I wanted to go out on my own. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is he hurt that you wanted to go out on your own? Uh, I think so. I think I think so. I mean, I've heard people a lot of a couple of different you know views of what people think's going on, but mm. uh, I mean, I sat down with him. I was like, "Hey, here's the deal." I was like, "When I leave this conversation, I'm gonna have one of two things. I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have my dad, or I'm gonna have a business partner." Mm. And that kind of framed it up to where it was like, you know, I don't know what he's, you know, oh, I'd rather have you as a business partner, son, sorry. You know, but to me, I was like, I'd rather this next 5, 10, 20 years, however long you live, you know, you're you know, 68, 69 years old. I mean, I'd rather have my old man. You know what I'm saying? I've been your business partner. I've been working for you in some some type of capacity for 20, 30, 25, 30 years. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, um, but yet he's still staying in the industry. You know what I'm saying? Like he's still in bail. You know what I'm saying? And I'll be opening an office in in his county. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so it's like, you know, and, you know, I'm trying to position myself where I'm selling my shares, the company back to them. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to get top dollar. You know what I'm saying? But my old man's like, hey, I'm 70, bro. Like I need to live. You know what I'm saying? This is kind of my income. I'm like, well, you know, it's just tough. You know what I'm saying? Because we're going back and forth, back and forth. And then, you know, like I told you, I'm doing, you know, silly shit, you know, where I'm, changing names on social media and taking people off as admin. You know what I'm saying? Like I'll, I'll make all these great strides and be a thing I'm doing so good. And then I'll just do some complete this dumb shit. You know, whatever, dude. I don't, I mean, I'm human, bro. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm laughing about it today. I'm a good time. But last night it was pretty sore. You know, yeah. when he was like, Hey, what's up, dude? I'm not the admin on our social media anymore. And I was like, Oh, well, well, I, I, yeah, you. I took you <laughs> off by the way. I created it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it was just like, I mean, let's know, be real. Ugh. That That is, that, that's a, that's a mochismo move of control. Yeah. And in one area of life that we can't control that, like, that's where I've seen a lot of people that go through divorce or they lose a job. They go into fitness Yeah, because that's the thing they can control. Right. Yeah, and they get a tangible mm -hmm. result from it. Right. They can focus. They do this. They get this. Right. When some things are going on and some things are brewing inside, I'm going to go do this because I know it's going to it's going to show I still have power. But then you're also controlling the emotional response from the other party. Yeah. Whereas you feel like they're doing that to you. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's a it's a volley on the tennis court of emotion. And I could have played it. I could have, you know, just yeah. went all in and, you know, yeah. took this move and just went powerhouse. But that's not my style. I mean, you could have you know blocked him. Huh? You could have just blocked him. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just could have just not done it because <laughs> yeah, after right. we had the initial meeting about that, me and Suzette got in the car and we're like, yeah, we're not going to do that. And I was like, yeah, that's a good idea. We're not going to move into this new business by doing some shady shit. Mm. But then, you know, Saturday, Sunday went by, I got to work on Monday and I was like, hey, just go ahead. Let's, let's make it just a little move to see if they notice. Well, the employee I told that just went all in, you know what I'm saying? So by the time I got the call that night, I was like, yeah, that was, I figured somebody mm -hmm. would probably 
realized they weren't admin anymore, but they, they had changed so much on this. So I was just like, oh, man. It's like my it's neighbors, when they got foreclosed on years yeah. ago during the crash of 09, um, they got four, it was this family, sweet family. And uh, when they, I thought they were moving in or moving something in with you. I didn't realize they were moving out overnight. <laughs> And uh, the door was left open. There was a two by four through the wall of the foyer. And I'm like, that was their last act of, oh yeah, F you. Yeah. I'm going to damage this a little bit before yeah. I'm out. Right. <laughs> just kind of, just kind of that last, you don't have me kind of thing. You know and what I mean? It doesn't really, for me, it's not fulfilling. You know what I'm saying? I it mean, never like, is for anybody. Yeah. There's I mean, it's always, just like you, it's run, you slam it through the sheetrock and like, yeah. Then you get in the moving truck and you're like, damn, that was stupid. <laughs> Because an MD, my neighbor for the last 10 years, I see that shit and like really think I'm a piece of shit. Like, it's like I, that you know, meme, I mean, which I love. And it's the like the the old school is like, ah, F, the, F this shit, I'm out of here. Oh, wait a minute, I need that. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally, yeah. I love the internet. Uh-huh. I mean, it's all good. You know what I'm saying? I think it's about, you know, not bringing yesterday into today, though, you know. Or else you're just going to recycle the experience. Yeah, but I mean, like, you know. You and I were chatting about it, man. I mean, like, we, we, I decide, right? You know what I'm saying? What am I yeah. going to do today? But, you know, you would think a lot of times if I am a conscious creator of my, my day and I have control of that, I sometimes wonder why I don't just always create awesomeness. You know what I'm saying? We, why why we, I got to wake up those 96% of the time and it's like, you know, Groundhog Day, you know, on just replay, you know what I'm saying? I'm just, you know not necessarily pleasurable things, you know what I'm saying? You know, about we, myself or what I can do. We have put some, what we thought were trick plays in the playbook of life yeah. based on previous experience. Yeah. You know, but I think we have to let go of, you know, it's like I told you, you know, life doesn't happen to us. It happens for us. Right. Mm-hmm. I've heard Ed Milet say that. I've heard a lot of people say that whoever originated that, I don't know, but smart. Yeah. Right. It, it kind of helps you re- refocus, uh, uh, the priority of, of how things are where they are. You know, Jocko Willink wrote the book, Extreme Ownership. Oh yeah. Right. Navy SEAL. Right. You talk about, I, I for me, everything within my sphere, I own whether good or bad, because yeah. that also is the most empowering thing because yes, I've been, a, I've allowed myself to choose to be a victim of my circumstance and my environment and all these things that happen to me. But I'm always, I'm always on the defense, which I'm not my best self. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then I need to go and look at what can I control? Cause it, through look, my wife, love her. Um, how she believes in me, have no idea. Third marriage, mm. right? And dude, I, I, I'm married way out of my league. Mm. Way out of my mm. league, right? Um, but I was the common thread through all of my relationships. And after uh, my second wife, who, uh, the, mom, the mom of my uh, two oldest kids, you know, you go through the blame and well, she did this and she did that. But, you know, look, a good marriage does not end a divorce. Right. And so I had to go, yeah, all these things I didn't like, but what did I do to enable this? Like I went through about a two, three year stint of just going, man, I am the common thread in this, man. I'm, I'm, I'm making the wrong decisions. Why am I making these decisions? I had to start peeling these layers back, going back to my childhood because the age of nine to 16 is where that's where the forms are being laid for your, for your foundation. Right. Yeah. From zero to seven. I mean, is the big, the big Mm -hmm. formative stuff. And you, they say. Right. No, yeah, yeah. 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 Childhood. Yeah. yeah. Based on environment, conditions, yeah. expectations, love, yeah. all that hurt, all that. And I wasn't owning the things that I had done. 
because we never want to think of ourselves in a bad light. Mm-hmm. Never do. We want to avoid that because that requires work to change, right? When I finally just took ownership of it and I went, I did a lot of things wrong and I don't want to end up in, in this place again. I do want to be in a fulfilling marriage, but I need to fix some things first, right? Horn around is going to fix it. Drugs, alcohol, all this, going to the gym is not going to fix it. What is going to fix it is me fixing myself. Yeah. I need to look at my habits and look at my tendencies. What am I, what's rooted from my childhood that I'm thinking made me who I am? No, it gave me tools to either use or throw away. That's not useful for me. Get rid of that. This is how I was treated. Okay. Well that's screwed up. Yeah, that sucks. But okay. So how do I act as a result of it? Do I say, well, that's just who I am. Well, my dad beat my mom. So I just, I just beat the people I'm with. No, you can change that trajectory. You can, yeah. My mom was violent with me. Doesn't mean I have to be violent with my kids. Right? Right. It's it's but, how we But ninety plus percent of society doesn't change. And if not ninety eight percent of them. I mean, it, I, I, I don't know. I'm just making stats up myself, but I mean like people just kinda I was beat, so I beat and they'll beat and I mean like, They you know do it's familiar. I mean, yeah. Because they keep focusing on being beaten. Yeah. So because you're gonna recycle whatever you focus on. Yeah. You just believe that to be true for yourself, yeah. right? Yeah. Painful, good. We People want good. They want better, but they also don't want to face what they have to face. That, you know, the, the extreme ownership is honestly one of the most empowering mentalities to have because, yes, you're a victim, but you completely control how you react. Yeah. You think of that, well, if I don't like where my life is right now, literally in one choice, I can completely change my life. That's pretty powerful. You can. <laughs> but now it also requires work. Yeah. It requires change. It requires pain. But that is also one of the things that you need in life is pain to remind you that number one, you're still alive. Number two, you can get through it. Yeah. But also three, you don't want to live in a life of pain. That's why like uh, there's this picture of this cliff um, and there's one tree on it. Roots are like all over the place and it's leaning into the ocean. It's leaning into the wind. Who knows how many trees were on that cliff at one point, but that's the only tree standing. And I, th- and my takeaway was cause he leaned into it. Mm-hmm. He found his footing and he leaned in. Everybody else gave up. Wind's too hard. I'm out. <laughs> right. But that one tree, I'm going to, I'm going to dig in. I'm going to figure out what I need to figure out because this wind is not going to beat me. Mm-hmm. It's a reaction. Na- nature's reaction. Crazy. Yeah. You look at trees and they've been through fire. You cut, you slice them up and you look at the rings of all the stuff they've been through. They keep growing. Yeah. It was horrible that, you know, forest fires, but trees still continue to grow. It's crazy. Yeah. Right. We yeah. continue to grow. We just keep looking at life as what's happening to me because we have expectations of what we think we want in life. We, we want life to be a certain way. Expectations are the greatest setup for failure. In, in a negative sense, because people think failure means you don't have the capability of. You actually, like I told you, when we look at capabilities of um, only the things we succeed at, we're missing the whole picture. We succeed at, at 10% of the things that we attempt. It's the 90% that we fail at that's actually the greatest lesson. That shows us our resilience, that shows us our capacity, that shows us, that reminds us of our ability to overcome. It's like a scar. You get cut doesn't mean that, you know, you're fragile. It means you can heal. It means you can move on. It's a reminder of what you can do, not what happened to you. Mm. Right? Yeah. We just look at it wrong. Some deep stuff. 
Man, that was some layers. Yeah. Well, we started, but we started talking about layers in the beginning of this talk, <laughs> yeah. and we ended talking about Which, layers. So here's um, a question for you. Um, you know, like watching the news and things with COVID, you know, I've just seen reports of like the increase in domestic abuse and violence and, you know, just a lot of crime have, in Houston, Montgomery County. Uh, have you seen that through a lot of through the, the past almost year? Yeah, really. almost a year. <sighs> I mean, I mean, nothing that particularly comes to mind. I mean. I, I haven't really seen an influx. I mean, it seemed like a little bit on the front side of COVID when like all of a sudden, um, you know, you were on like month two or three of being locked up in your house. You know what I'm saying? Like people mm-hmm. were kind of, I was seeing some, some, some assaults kind of come in a lot more, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I was seeing a lot more drinking or, or drug related things as far as like, um, mm-hmm. uh, public intoxes. And there was a little influx I saw at the beginning. You know what I'm saying? Because I think everybody at first was like, all right, we're going into quarantine. You know what I'm saying? And after a couple of months, they're like, you know, screw you. You know, they're all, you know, drinking all day or whatever at the house, you know, working remotely, having some wine. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. But uh, I think it's kind of planed out. Like there was a spike there at the beginning. And then it's just kind of like everybody's mm-hmm. kind of like, I think a lot of people are like over this crap. Mm-hmm. I know I am. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, like I've kind of, you know, I mean, like I'm just. And that's come and gone in some different ways for me too, where I'm not wearing a mask, you know, being like, okay, let me just order my food curbside. You know what I'm saying? So I have to walk in here like a rebel with no mask on, like, fuck you, I'm not wearing a mask, you know? But so now, I mean, like I've just kind of evolved through these times too, but you know, I mean, I don't know if this is the new, the new thing. I mean, is COVID the new deal? I mean, we, we, we masked up, we, uh, Locked up in our houses. I mean, I've got an aunt that, that hasn't been out of her house in like 10 months. I mean, yeah. up in Maryland. I mean, like yeah. she don't know, won't see family. I mean, like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, Christmas, uh, my parents had COVID over Christmas. So we actually didn't get to see my parents, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, but we weren't, you know, Thanksgiving we got together. I mean, we mm-hmm. weren't, you know, I saw some of these people doing drive-by, dropping presents off, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I was like, eh, it's cute, you know, whatever. But like we got together as a family, you know. Numbers just don't add up to me, man. Yeah, like, you know, I'm, I am not a conspiracy person. Like, I, like, I'm, I'm, I'm literally forty nine fifty one. Like, logic and creative, right? Mm-hmm. So, I, I love to deep dive. I'll go down the rabbit hole, and I'll start. And you know, I, before I will believe a narrative of like somebody's post or something, I'm gonna go, let me go do some research. Let me mm-hmm. figure this out, right? And the thing that just didn't add up was the numbers of COVID. With also hearing talking to physicians, talking to uh, coroners, talking to people that are at the front line of this going, yeah, we just, I mean, if, if you, if you test positive for COVID and you had a heart attack, it's classified as a COVID death. Yeah. So these numbers being used to perpetuate fear in people, which fear creates control. Yeah. It's putting people like we couldn't, there were some family that wouldn't see us over the holidays. We went to California. I mean, so sad, right? They're from but, Texas. It's bad there. Yeah, right we now. need to quarantine for 14 days. We're only here for seven, okay? Mm-hmm. So let's just be real. <laughs> Again, I res- I, whatever, man. Yeah, I, don't I, come over, wear a mask, yeah, put your shield on, yeah. whatever. Honk from the curb. I mean, I, I, but we're going to. Unless you ask my opinion, I will not give it. Yeah. Right? I'm, yeah. I respect myself enough. Yeah. I'm also not trying to change somebody's mind, but for myself, like I, for my own ease of conscience, like I look at this stuff and I'm like, okay. 
0.9% of people recover from COVID. Now, some lose their sense of taste, smell, like there's some things that happen. A headache for a couple of weeks. But there are no others energy. that tragically, I, I think the number was who actually died because of COVID. It's like 10,000 something, yeah. right? The other 300, 300 plus had COVID. With diabetes. But it was a comorbidity, the, yeah. right? But it was people that typically when yeah. you have the flu. Pneumonia, yeah. Pre-existing, 400 pounds. Yeah. It, it, it just, but just as it, I mean, I haven't bought one of these and I can't tell you how many years, but I was getting a couple of things. I was getting some coffee at HEB and there they had the newspapers. Dude, I, like, I haven't seen like newspaper headlines in forever. But, you know, of course, what happened yesterday at the Capitol. But the weirdest thing, seeing a newspaper headline like this. Yeah, with with Trump Trump people. You know, people climbing the the Capitol building. And so here's my question. And this literally (laughs) honest question for me. So crazy. The Capitol building is the pinnacle of our government of this country. Right. One of the next to the White House, probably one of the most secure. Okay, CIA, FBI, all that. Right. One of the most secure buildings of this country with, you have historical art, the constant, well, probably the copy of the constitution that I think it sucked down to the ground, like 500 million stories if something happened. Yeah. But all of a sudden these people just ransacked it, went into like Pelosi's office and there's email up on the computer and feet up on the, like in the one guy that had the, the horns Costume. and the chest hair and had been photographed at other rallies and you're going... I don't know, man. Like how, how do you just all of a sudden just walk in literally through one of the pictures I saw were these protesters walking through the, the rope barriers for the Capitol foyer. Not like, rah, you're like coming in like barbarians, but how did you all of a sudden end up in the chamber of one of the most secure buildings in the country? When you have Capitol police, you've got every single type of law and they just walk right in. I, was this enabled? Like, I, I, again, I am not a kid. Like, I, I'm, what's your take on that, man? Like, it, it just, it's actors is what I, my take is. Huh? Actors. <laughs> Dude, I can go, I can go down the wormhole, bro. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you, you started seeing some of the stuff too, where they were showing like the dude, the horns. Like, yeah, hey, he was at this deal. And yeah. like, this isn't a, either Republican or Democrat. This is an mm-hmm. actor, you know? I mean, like, I don't know, bro. Like, I mean, it just, I was never really into the conspiracy theory stuff, but uh, like I start to kind of get into it, like you know. Number one, looking at newspapers, we start kind of talking about <laughs> yeah, Pizzagate and MK Ultra, and yeah. just go down the yeah. down the rabbit hole, oh, boy. Yeah. yeah, you know what is it? Wayfair ordering babies for you know ten thousand dollar cabinets, and Wait, I, guess I mean ten month old comes in the mail or something. I mean, you know, the, 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 like, the crazy thing, I mean, like the name of it, and yeah, it's the missing um, kid, like it. <laughs> I look, I, for me, I've learned in life, at least this far at 47, there's very, very little, these things are not coincidental. Like I always I mean, try to take a 90,000 foot view and look yeah. at things, but it, it's like, um, it, it's some, it, it's like even rumors. Like there's always a little shred of truth to every rumor. Yes. Right. You just got to dig a little bit, go down the grapevine, kind of uncover. But I, I just, man, it's, Common sense, again, common sense is different for everybody. Common sense comes yeah. from your upbringing, your, your environment, all that that kind of culminates, right? But looking at numbers and looking at, 
how, how did these people just all of a sudden just overrun the Capitol I just, building? I mean, like, I don't, I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, some of the stuff my, my wife and I have been talking about, I mean, like, some of the things, like, like some of the things I was mentioning, I'm not really, like, a super conspiracy theory, but, like, I mean, like, I kind of, I'm like, you know, I think it's so that, like, our minds can't wrap wrap around some of the stuff that's really happening. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. they're like, no way. They're eating babies. You're like, yeah. it's like, there's no way. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. then, like, you see these stats or different things behind it and all these missing children and when it started at this time. Epstein I'm Island. Like, and I'm like, what? It's crazy. You know what like, I mean, you know, and then you start getting into, like, seeing these people. Like, this dude doesn't look like he voted for Trump. I'm just, I'm just saying. You know what I'm saying? I mean, <laughs> doesn't look like a right. conservative, you know, right-wing kind of guy. You know, and then you start seeing them kind of patching these people in from different rallies and like tattoos that marked. I'm like, wow. You know, a lot of these people, they were kind of remind me of the the guys you see at a bar that there's going to be two guys that get into a bar fight, but everybody else just jumps in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 uh, Well, since we're here, let's just go ahead. I mean, did Trump call everybody to D.C.? I mean, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Like he rallied them up. You know what I'm saying? But he's also not controlling people's minds to make them go. True. He's not working with a joystick. Yeah. Like in a mind control chip or, you know, whatever. Yeah, I think that uh, interesting times, buddy. I think it's going to be, but I'm going to do good no matter what. I mean, I did good during Bush and uh, was it Biden or no? What was it? Uh, Obama. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I always hear all these people calling O Biden. So like every time I say, yeah, I'm like oh, Obama. I'm like what the heck? You know what I'm saying? And and you know, yeah, Trump. And I mean, I'll I mean during Biden's presidency, if he yeah. ends up coming to fruition, then yeah, I'm going to do well in that too. You know what I'm saying? I think and if that, I'm not, then I'll go to my bunker out in Fairfield. You have a bunker? I'm like 200 acres out there and just really? disappear. Yeah. I know where I'm headed. Yeah. I'm hooking up I'll with Elliot. disappear, yeah. <laughs> we'll get my deuce and a half military truck and just run cars over I'm, 45 I'm going, North. I'm going and, with the bounty guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I've got plans every which way. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I remember Y2K. Oh, right? yeah. And people like doing bunkers, getting gas. And the computers are going to crash. Yes. You remember Guess that? where I was. Oh, where? I was at the Fish Millennium Show out in Southern Florida on Indian Reservation doing drugs. <laughs> the 1999 New Year's, there was a, a jam band called Fish, P-H-I-S-H. Yeah. And I was like hula hooping, you know, as the computers Get just out, be blowing man. up. <laughs> I guess you're probably doing something a little more responsible. <laughs> <laughs> let's see. That was, let's see, 99. Uh, 20 years ago, you were, what, 27? Yeah, I had. 26. 99. Did you have kids on the ground? No, I didn't. No? Um, that's when I had just started competing as a triathlete. Uh, first wife had just left. And I was about to lose my job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As an engineer. Here we are now, though. Here we are, man. Mm-hmm. Bald and beautiful. Good stuff. Elliot, <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. where, uh, where can people connect with you? Uh, On yeah. a legal way. Yeah, legal, legal <laughs> way. Yeah, I, I, my Elliot Sondag is my handle on Instagram and on okay. Facebook. Okay. And then for bail, we're Godfather's Bail Bonds, uh, quadruple A. Bail bonds. So and you'd be first in line on the yellow pages for a lot of people that don't Back know what in the that day, is. <laughs> yeah. A space, A space, A one, A A A A A. Yeah, we are from the phone book days. Yeah, yeah, for a better way. And then you know, our dog training business is uh, off like the come and take it flag, mm-hmm. right, with the cannon on it. Mm. We're come and train it, canine. Nice. So we took the cannon off and put a German Shepherd on there. So okay. we're 
uh, come and train at K9. We do basic obedience dog training. So when your shit shoes out of control? Yeah, whatever. Yeah, we get them. German Shepherd's a little too German. Like yeah. just taking uh, a little too much, right? <laughs> yeah, so, so that's it. So, yeah, Elliot Sondag, S-O-N-D-A-G, two L's, two T's. That's all my, my social media stuff. And okay. That's where you can find me, brother. And be on the lookout for uh, this new well, show. I'm thinking. I really feel the Bounty Hunt TV show. We'll see. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. I can, will you bring me back on if we, will we lock uh, up a and e or something like yes, that? Yes, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Good, bro. Brother, thank you for coming in. Yeah, man. I really do appreciate it. <laughs>